Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we are your co-hosts. So today I'm talking about necromancy again, necromancy part two, or part duh, if you're a Frenchy, Frenchy bastard. And um, we're also talking about hell, both the place and the goddess, uh, the hell with one L, trademark, Wands and Fronds podcast 2022. I'm into it. I'm into hell with one L. It's hell fun. with one L. I mean, on that like very spooky note, I'm talking about henbane, but I'm also kind of doing like a bit of an intro into the poison path. So it's it's a slightly longer segment, guys. Bear with me. There are also a lot of visual things that I'm going to be showing, which I guess we'll have to like post on the Instagram or something. I'm sorry, guys. I've been like off on posting stuff on the Instagram with my new job, but. For those of you on our Patreon, you're going to get to see as I'm doing the show and tell because there's like glyphs and stuff that I think are really fun. Love that. I, I do love, um, and I know you've seen, I, my sister got me those like old botanical drawings. Yeah. And it's, yes. Actually, the entryway to my house is just like pictures of eucalyptus and those like old botanical drawings from some book. You know, it was one of those things where it's like they just, take stuff out of books and put it in a frame. Yeah, I have in my office, um, my friend and neighbor Kelly got me this like old tiny lithograph of carnivorous plants. And it's definitely like straight up a lithograph from a book that was pulled out from like the late 1800s. And so I put it in a floating frame and it's really cute. But I do love that uh, weird trend of just like basically taking cut out pictures from books and framing them. But if the books are old enough, then it's art. And it's art. It's absolutely. And I think that's the thing. If it's old enough, it's art for sure. Um, well, cool. so I was going to say, Nick, when did you feel magical this week? Okay. So I felt magical this week and it's going to come as a surprise to absolutely no one. But um, I was just having this really nice moment with my kitties this week. And I think it's because we did do magical cats part two where i mean just to kind of let everyone in on some behind the scenes stuff we are double recording today so i did do some a lot of reading about magical cats this week but like literally i love my little kitty family and we did have like really nice like i i guess you could call it like family time the other day where it was like we were just all on the couch and it's like Oliver is feeling better and it's just like nice to have that energy. Also, it is like the second day of Libra season. And I will just say, when did I feel the magic this week? It's like literally I felt the shift from Virgo season to Libra season so strongly. And I feel truly like a weight has been lifted. Um, and I, I, I do feel better than I did for like all of Virgo season. And I like love Virgo season. Like I, I love the focus. I love the energy, but my tummy was hurting. So yeah. you're like feeling the relief of uh, like the removal of the weight of judgment. Of, right, like, right, right. Under the population. Um, amazing. Well, I felt magical this week, actually doing the research for this episode. It was one of those things where like, y'all, this is, we're about, we're recording episode 98. So we've been doing this for a minute 
And I had just one of those like really cool moments where I was doing the research and I was like, oh yeah, no, this all like tracks. Like I understand all of this because I get like the mythology and the alchemy. So it was like the herbalism research and study I've done was like meeting with all the like magical study I've done for the podcast. And it just felt really good because it was like, I remember when we first started doing this podcast, that wasn't always the case. You know, sometimes I would be like, well, this is an entirely new area that I have no understanding of. And like, that happens less and less now, which is really cool. I I also, I think I talked about it the last episode we recorded even, where it's like, when I'm getting into these sticky corners of like Greek mythology, where I'm like, oh, but like, I actually know the backstory of this and what happens after this. And it's like, the pieces kind of start to come together now and I think maybe for people that are out there listening one of the interesting things about our show that like maybe does set it a little bit apart from other witchy podcasts is like we did not come into this ever like claiming to be experts and this is like really like our witchy journey in real time yeah I think it's like it's nice that because you and I both came with like very different experiences and backgrounds. I think I had probably only been practicing for like four years when we started. And, you know, we both just, I think, had really different like academic interests and backgrounds too. And this has really, I think, fed that super nerdy bookie part of both of us in a way that's really nourishing. It's kind of like being in school because like, we have to research for the podcast. So it's like, yeah, basically it's, like having assignments. <laughs> it's basically like having assignments, but it's also like we we picked these out for ourselves. Like it's not, and that's, I, I mean, and it's like, we make this ourselves. So it's not like there's a producer being like, you need to have this many minutes on hell, the place and the goddess by Sunday afternoon. It's like- the, the producer is you, the, pro the producer, I mean, and, and me, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to do this, but we gotta, we gotta go. Cause this is going to, this is going to end up being a longer one. I can already just feel it because necromancy also got a little long this week. Necromancy is a cool topic. So. Yeah. And I, and Henbane is going to like really segue into it nicely. Cause Henbane's used a lot in like traditional necromantic rituals, so it'll be fun. We're going to have a good I, time. Did you see, okay, and this is like spoiler alert, but did you see the potion ingredient list in Necromancy? I didn't. I didn't, I didn't peek. Okay, you didn't peek. It's fine. It's actually, you're going to, you're going to love this. You're going to love this. Ooh, but, I'm excited. <laughs> but so this week is kind of a spooky episode because we're doing Spooky Girl Fall. And what better way than to like just dip our little toes right into it then by talking about hell and we're we're talking about hell which is a goddess and a place in what we would call the norse pantheon so something important to mention right up top is that while it is a spooky place we are not talking about christian hell an easy way to remember that is we're talking about hell with one l uh, it rhymes so it's, it's easy to i like that hell with one l guys Hell with one L. So, and yes, they do sound exactly alike. And 
but let's not make unfair comparisons when we're like imagining this as a place because it's not fire and brimstone you know it's like very not that and it's also seems to have like the, a certain sense of humor and i do like that um and that's not very christian either like having a sense of humor about things so but before we get into anything like too detailed I also just wanted to talk about like the Norse afterlife in general and how insanely tiring the idea of Valhalla sounds to me. Yeah, Valhalla does not sound fun for me either. Like, I bet the feast at the end of the day is really cool. And like, at best, at best, the vibe is like, I guess, like paintball camp, you know? So you're just like fighting, fighting, fighting each other all day for funsies just for funsies um and and i guess practice and then at night you like feast and party together uh yeah nick and i are lovers not fighters lovers (laughs) not fighters like i definitely was not into paintball as a young man as i'm sure many of you out there would have already guessed okay but like when i see the bruises that people got from paintball i'm like i'm sorry you're doing that for fun you're doing that for fun okay but then and i i just have to do this because there's actually like not that much information about hell just spoiler alert but also so and and we're getting into the the world of conjecture but also like what if you were just a regular guy and then you died doing something valiant you know like you get mugged and like take take one for a for a friend or a lover or something and you're just like a regular guy just a regular guy but then you like you know go out in exactly the right way and then you're just like stuck in Valhalla forever okay but like when is the sitcom of this coming out because I would watch that as like a weekly sitcom episode (laughs) oh my god so it's like the premise is it turns out that Norse mythology is like the overarching mythology of the world and some regular guy probably someone from the cast of the office or parks and rec you know um is is gonna be like oh i died and now i'm in valhalla oops (laughs) um anywho so but also it's like yeah just fighting forever that doesn't seem cool it's like do they ever just take a day off and like have a picnic and uh have a walk around the lake or something so anywho but uh if you like me would be asking these questions in Valhalla like when do you take a day off and have a picnic and a walk around the lake hell might be for you uh because hell is for people who die of old age and illnesses and um dishonorable ways so and now keeping in mind that Snorri Snellitsen the guy who wrote the 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 Eddas in like the 1100s was already a Christian when he wrote all this stuff down. So the whole like hell has layers thing. I mean, keeping in mind like that like old Snorri boy was born like 40 years before Dante, but like the idea of like hell having um, different circles is like very much kind of coming into its own in this time. Yeah, I really, at some point for a bonus episode, I want to do an episode on, like, Christian mysticism, because we actually talked about it a lot in one of my religious studies classes. So where, like, 
these initial ideas of like the layers of heaven and hell because like seventh heaven the saying comes from old Christian mystic ideas, which really would have been Jewish mysticism at that point because Christianity didn't exist. Well, that's but true. I, it's and... a fascinating like sort of background in like non-canonical things. This is where you also have stories about like Jesus like having a combo with like a talking seal. Like there's weird shit in that side yeah, of like no, old religious texts. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But no, it's like um so Yggdrasil, the tree of the world, the ash tree that like literally holds the universe together, is sort of also referred to as the nine worlds, right? And so Hell, being the queen of the underworld, is one of the rulers of the nine worlds, who really is like in charge of a lot, because here's the thing, Hell is um, down in the roots. So down in the roots, you have like the human world, which is like the creation of Odin after, you know, basically killing his father and um, the rotting corpse and the snake and all of that, all of that really cool and fun stuff, which we're going to talk about the snake a little bit more when we start talking about the goddess hell. Um, but hell, the place is sort of like in between the human world and the world of the ice giants. And actually, sort of the the heat of the like intense energy of creation of like the human world interacting with like the cold, cold, cold frostiness of the ice world creates this part of hell called Niffle Hell, which is like the the mist hell. And also sounds like a Pokemon. Truly, truly, truly. But it's like that's sort of like where you go if you're like a a lost soul. And I think that's where it's sort of like the worst people go, like people who die a dishonorable death, AKA not in battle, because we are talking about the people who want to go to, like whose religious system is based on wanting to go to Valhalla. Um, and it reminds me of that, do you remember that episode? Did you watch the book of Korra? The legend of Korra? Or yeah, sorry, the legend of Korra. So there's an episode where I forget where they're at, but it's like in the spirit realm and there's all the people wandering in the fog that are lost. Yes, the people wandering in the fog that are lost. And so there's this, really the only description that we get of hell as a place involves the death of Baldur. So her mother, and y'all know that I am not a native Scandinavian speaker, but her mother, full stop, is presented as Baldur's brother, who borrows sleep near Odin's eight-legged horse, which, terrifying. I still think the idea of the spider horse, with or without any, like, spooky accoutrement, is still just a horrifying, spooky It's spooky image. on its own. It's, it doesn't need anything else. It's spooky on its own, but goes to hell in order to see if he can get Baldur back. So this is kind of where we learn sort of what the rules are of hell. Again, not Christian hell. Stop imagining Christian hell. I know it doesn't help for me to say that, but I, I also need Guys, to hear fucking it. stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. So basically, in order to get to hell, you go over, there's apparently a very, very high wall. Now, this is kind of where it gets into the conjecture territory. And I have been inspired by a work of fiction 
which basically was saying that these like roots of the Yggdrasil are actually like presented in the world as these like impassable mountain ranges. So like in order to get to the next world, you have to like basically do something supernatural to get over to the other side. But they described this kind of wall, but also that these places are sort of nestled among the roots of like the world tree. So I'm I that's kind of what I imagine when they talk about this is again, it's kind of like, you know, not to not to bring it up, but very formative piece of fiction literature that inspired me as a child, as a literal child, Chronicles of Narnia, like the edge of the world being a mountain range. And like, that's it. It's just like, that's the edge of the world. Um, regular people cannot go past there. Not at all. Okay. But there's a very tall wall. So you need like Odin's horse to like get over the wall. And then apparently you ride for nine days. So we're talking like a week and a half of just riding this is the fastest horse in the world. It has eight legs. It can fly. So we're talking like pretty long distance traveled, even, I mean, even though it still takes nine days. Like this is like the bullet train of Old Norse transportation. So what is the landscape like? It's described as, again, these like infinitely tall valleys that are just steeped in like pitch darkness. So like you cannot even with a torch, like you can't see the tops of the cliffs ever. And there's no stars in the sky. And it's just like dark, dark, dark. And you're, you're just sort of wandering through like canyons, basically. And you're just like, I hope I get to the right place. Um, but then, so there's a very loud river, which apparently sort of the idea is if you die, you're you're looking for the river in the dark by sound so i guess it has to be very loud but the translation of the name of the river is the noisy river and also the the noisy bridge and then you think with all these like infinitely tall canyons of infinite blackness it's like there's probably a lot of echoes you know i think yeah i bet it's like a lot of like echoing noise it sounds like if you were not dead it might be enough to drive you insane <laughs> It might be, yeah, um, exactly. So you might have this, like, maze of infinite dark uh, canyons and, you know, there's no stars in the sky to navigate by. And, you know, maybe you, maybe you do, maybe you don't know that you're supposed to be going towards the river. Or, like, if you hear the river, that's where you're going. But also, it's you know, it's sort of like the river sticks. It's like once you get to the river, you've made it. You cross the bridge, there's a guard there, which is, like, sort of, his name translates to ferocious warrior, which just kind of makes me think of like corn. It's no place for a mighty warrior. Um, it's really not. It's not. Um, bridge is no place for a mighty warrior or a ferocious warrior for that matter. But he's there. Bridge is place for troll. Sort of like uh, I also think of like the Black Knight in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, and Monty Python. Oh my god. Um, it's just the flesh wound. So he will he will fight you if you're not supposed to be there. Or he'll like, you know, but here's the thing. So Hermodir is like alive. He's a god, but he's alive. He's not dead. He's not supposed to be there. But for some reason they let him in because he's a god and not a regular person. So it's like, I guess I I like to think Sleepnir is why they let him in. Yeah, they're like, um, 
you can go like get that fucking horse like out of but, here or they're just like sleep near can party with us he's also, spooky also probably true yeah because he's very spooky and then we kind of get to the the high hall of hell uh but first there is sort of like an onboarding process if you're a regular person in hell so you have to cross the river right got to make it across the river the guy's got to let you in like there's a doorman right he's going to make sure you're dead okay and then you get in and then um a dragon is gonna suck all of your blood out and so i think he does it in like groups so you know it's like for every like 50 people that die he like comes out and like sucks all the blood out you know well it's a very efficient system it's it seems like a very efficient sort of system um and i think that's like the permanent transformation and then you turn like white and ghosty looking because all of your blood gets sucked out um and then and then you're you're dead forever like you're you can't go back across the river so um and but then so the thing is is now we got to talk about hell the goddess before we talk a little bit more about hell the place so hell is the daughter of loki and one of the ice giants so she's kind of like foot in both worlds kind of kind of a girly and remember that the world of the ice giants is also sort of in the roots of the world tree right now she also had two siblings um Fenrir the wolf which is you know sort of sets off the whole thing for Ragnarok uh and also the giant serpent of Midgard which is sort of wrapped around the edge of the world and like is keeping it together because she's got her tail in her mouth like the Ouroboros uh and then when she finally like let's go over tail that's also one of the triggers for ragnarok so like two out of three are like triggers for the end of the world of these kids but also i like that i think a serpent is way cooler than like atlas if i'm yeah like a serpent yeah i i mean it's like the serpent is kind of giving like terry pratchett like turtles oh 100 um and i do love that so we've got we've got the big serpent, we've got the wolf, but then we've got Hell. So Hell is a lady. And of the three, this is the one that takes kind of more of a human form or even kind of like a shape-shifty kind of a thing, a la Loki, but you know, blending in. Blending in, passing even. And the one thing they do say is that half of her is flesh tone and half of her is blue. So, you know, she's got some some dimorphism kind of a thing going on. And in paintings, it's like top half, bottom half, or like, you know, the little illuminations and shit of her. But I, you know, I'm like, I like to think maybe it's like a bit of a swirl. Like, I feel like it, you know, it could be more could be more fun than that, than just like uh pants, the the old pants model. Um but all of that to say, so basically Odin does this really kind of cool thing where they, there's like, you know, the prophecies, the prophecies, the prophecies, the Ragnarok prophecies. And then Loki has these kids with this ice giant and it's like, oh, there's the wolf, there's the snake, like shit, this is going to happen. So 
but we have to take these kids. We can't let Loki raise these kids. Like the best thing we can do is kind of like raise them ourselves, kind of get them on our side, like get them doing what we want and like kind of delay, delay this whole thing as much as we can. And ultimately that's what they do. And they, you know, they kind of set Snake up as like the uh, girdle of the world and Fenrir is chained. And they actually do talk about uh, in the, the Balder story where, you know, Hermodir is going back for Balder, the, uh, the, the, there's a hound of hell, the hellhound. And there's some speculation that that is Fenrir. Um, it's just kind of waiting for the end of days. So kind of back to the story with Hermodir going back for Balder, right? So Hell has been sort of banished by the Asgardian gods, even though having like, even just like a drop of Asgardian blood is enough to be a god. Like they really don't give, they don't want her there. So they basically like give, let her have the underworld while they do all of it's their- like all of this anti-Loki propaganda. <laughs> right. It's like really, they just, yeah, it's, a lot of anti-Loki propaganda, but they're just like, they let Hell have the underworld. And I feel like Hell is sort of like a sarcastic goth queen because once Hermodier gets to the Hall of Hell, everything has like sarcastic goth names. Like the gates are called like the corpse gates. And even though once he goes in, like he finds Balder enjoying fresh food and wine and like, you know, um, merriment and feasting as like an honored guest of hell herself. Um, but there's all these like joke names, which I think are so funny. So it's like in sort of the dining hall, like the table is called um hunger and the dishes are named like starvation right and and this comes from a thing where like norse kings and stuff would be like oh you know it's like my feasting table is called plenty and like my cup shall never be empty and like you know all these like basically toasts and shit that people would make back in the day but but her table is called hunger and her dishes are called starvation and her bed is called like sickness and like the draperies around her bed are called um, despair. And I, I mean, because it's funny because it's like, you know, we're talking about like very comfy sounding stuff, like a feasting hall and like a decked out bedroom. But it's like, oh, you know, like all we have here is is hunger and starvation. And in the bedroom, it's just sickness and despair. And um, but they're not actually having a bad time. But they're not <laughs> actually but they're not actually having a bad time. There's like beds, there's food, there's dancing there's games um the only thing is there's a very high wall you cannot leave so and yeah, then but you're dead where are you gonna you, go but you're dead where are you gonna go um and it you know it's not like the whole sort of like valhalla thing which again just sounds fucking exhausting um yeah of... i'd rather be in like an abyss than valhalla i think right 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 but yeah it really doesn't sound so bad and so sort of like 
her main story is sort of like the story of Balder because everyone wants Balder back. And she's like, yeah, okay, like th this whole thing is set in motion by her basically being like, okay, well, if every single thing in the universe um, will weep for you, for me, I'll do it. And, you know, obviously goes up to everything in the world and is like, cry, cry for Balder and I might bring him back. And then every, literally everything does, except for a lady ice giant who, and again, this is conjecture, but it is conjecture from the time that the story uh, is from, that it is Loki in disguise. So this like lady ice giant is just like, let hell have what's hers. Yeah. Also, like, what a weird kink. Right. Um... Like cry for me, cry, for, cry me for me now, cry for cry it's for me, creepy. baby. Creepy. Um, but yeah. So ultimately, at the end of the day, hell does not sound so bad. Niflhel being lost in the mist and like in the dark, shady canyons, just like echoing around your own screams forever. Like that sounds very spooky. But like going to the high hall and just like hanging out um in your hospital bed or whatever, like doesn't sound so bad. Um. And all of that to say that there's literally only like five paragraphs of source material about hell as a goddess. But I personally feel like because of the whole sort of like rejection based on the whole association with Loki, that she does kind of have this sort of outcast kind of a vibe. And like, ultimately, I think it's suiting because it's like it's kind of okay to be an outcast in a society where literally the highest goal is warfare so yeah i mean i'm not mad about it <laughs> like it's cool to just be regular and chill and just like die of old age or whatever and i think I like that's that's what it feels like to be a normal person in america right now right um so that's hell and also, I will say my favorite part of the whole description of hell, though, is, like, the the canyons you can't see the top of, just, like, the endless maze of canyons. Like, that's spooky. Like, being... Okay, The only, some of the only times and some of the most anxiety I've ever had have been um, in a mirror maze at, like, a carnival funhouse. Um, but I later learned that there's actually people in there that do close them behind you to make you, like... Sorry about that. Um, to, like, make you freak out. Like, they, you know, like because it's, like, the mirror maze, they just, like, push them shut because they know you're in there, and then you turn around and try to go back out the entrance, and you you can't find it because yeah don't like that i don't like that i do, it's like that scares the shit out of me um it's spooky it's it's, spooky. Vi it's very spooky and speaking of spooky we actually have like a spooky plant this week perhaps one of the spookiest if i'm gonna be honest so we're talking about henbane y'all and not only is it a poison which is inherently spooky, but it has like a long history of association with like witches and necromancy. Um, and 
I do just have to say there have been no deaths that are irrefutably linked to Henbane. So if you were the type of person who was interested in like trying your hand at working with poisons, Henbane is one of the less dangerous options to fucks with. Uh, with that said, I cannot in good conscience recommend you take a poison, but I do know you're grownups and you can make your own choices, but be careful. But really like Henbane is also beautiful. So it has these like super pale flowers with dark, like reddish purplish veins and the seed pods, they're kind of shaped like cauldrons, which is super dope. Like if you imagine like a pomegranate, you know how the pomegranate has the crown on it. If the crown's extended, that's like kind of what the seed pods look like on Henbane. Like they're very, very cool. So today though, I'm like, <clears throat> I'm talking about Henbane, but I'm also going to talk a lot about the poison path. So like, again, the book that I'm, my primary source today is the poison path herbal, baneful herbs, medicinal nightshades and ritual entheogens by Kobe Michael. This book, super badass, very well researched, cannot recommend it enough. So let's back up, talk about like the three paths in the poison path magical tradition, right? So we all know three, hella magical number. You have to combine like time, space, energies to manifest creation. Like the, um, the triangles that we see magically are considered like a symbol that can both like gather energy and direct energy depending on the orientation. But also in the Kabbalistic tree of life, the threefold cycles are reflected because the top three spheres and the very top branches, the very upper branches are arranged in a triangle. So like the forces that correspond with these spheres are um, Kether, Binah, and Chakma. And I'm really sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, I'm doing my best. But when we look at the triangle, like the top point, Kether or Kether, represents divine source. Binha is the void or the space that is all potential. And Chakma is the spark of life, the force that drives all creation. The symbol kind of looks like a, it looks like a circle within a triangle. So this is what's known as like the triangle of art or the triangle of Solomon, right? And so this holds all of the forces related to creation and the universe. Um, there's also though, this like upside down inverted triangle that uh, represents Saturn. So Saturn is represented by a triangle um, and it can be like seen either way up. When it's upright, the top point represents the void and then it's like balanced by Mercury and Venus. So here in the tree of life, you also see like an inverted triangle, like I said, which puts Saturn in the lower realms, which are the like catonic aspects of Saturn we're familiar with. Here you can see like kind of an example of that triangle with the different glyphs for like Saturn, Mercury, and Venus. And I do just want to say that like the more chthonic aspects of Saturn are actually something that really starts coming about after the Middle Ages. Prior to that, like during the Roman era, Saturn is seen like much more as like a planet of expansion, very benevolent, Saturnalia. We don't get this idea of like Saturn as like a super catonic deity as the general like grand malefic considerations until after the Middle Ages. Um, so again, I, I also 
I do think that's such a cool title, though. Like, The Grand Malefic. Yeah, The Grand Malefic. I do love it. But yeah, so again, like, when we think about that inverted triangle aspect of Saturn on the Tree of Life, though, this is where we can see Saturn, like, helping us, like, go internally, right? It's like the energy is gathering, moving in an earthward direction. But there's, like, so much triangle symbolism here. Um, the objects or symbols that are placed within a triangle and at the points can also be, like, powerful representations of energy, like a lot of witches and magical practitioners work with triangles in their craft because like you can place things in each of the points to help direct energies. I mean, even in like modern witchcraft in the Wicca tradition, right? There's like maiden mother crone. Um, we also know that like in Celtic mythology, there's the three cauldrons, there's land, uh, land sky, sea triplicity, and like the upper middle lower world systems that we see in like Norse mythology. So there's threefold traditions all over the place. They're still super relevant today. Um, but this is why when we're talking about like the idea of the poison path, we're thinking about like three of them, right? It's a threefold path. And it's really based on the threefold path of alchemy, which is really a fascinating area of study. And like I could do, we could do an entire podcast on alchemy and alchemical traditions. But in alchemy, again, you're seeing Saturn, Venus, and Mercury. And those are the three stages of transmutation. So Saturn is Negredo or the phase of blackening. Venus represents Albedo or the stage of turning white. And Mercury is the final stage, Rebedo or reddening. So here you get like the interplay of these like three phases of transmutation and these are also used to represent the cross crossroads of the poison path so in the poison path plants are kind of put into either a saturn venus or mercury category and the mercury plants mercury represents like the magician it's the energy that helps us learn to quote unquote fly they're the plants that help us like take on new shapes they're like traveling it's considered the ruler of written spells um when you think about the way that mercury the planet travels in the sky you know um it spends like half of its orbit in the morning sky and half of its orbit in the night sky it moves around a lot which is you know where that association with like communication traveling if you think about a lot of the things that you see with like the mercurial planets with or the mercurial um signs gemini virgo a lot of communication rapid movement um so venus venusian plants these are the ones that like help us like recognize and honor our own power it rules potion making the crafting of ointments very libra and Saturn is like the great father, right? Like the horned god. He lives in wild places. Uh, Saturn is also the planet of like Capricorn, which Capricorn season begins on the winter solstice. It's like really helping us go in and dive, dive in deep, do shadow work, thinking about the boundary between worlds. Saturn is the furthest planet that's visible with the naked eye. So it was like the boundary between the known universe and the unknown. So Saturn is like big dick energy, but also like shadow work energy. So, and then when we look at like the grand herbs of the poison path, 
they're belladonna, mandrake, and henbane. So henbane is associated with mercury. It's mercurial. So let's talk like a little bit about the plant, right? So we know from the Evers papyrus, which was written in 1500 BCE, that ancient Egyptians were really familiar with henbane. Uh, 1500 BCE, guys. That's, That's only a- 3,500 years ago. Right. So I already told you guys, though, again, like this is like the chthonic side of Mercury. So I've talked about how the orbit, it spends some time in the morning sky, some in the night sky. There's that travel between light and dark, right? And so mercurial plants can sometimes allow us to like travel, so to speak, into the underworld. So henbane is used in like necromantic ritual. It's used as like an offering to help facilitate with the dead, um, traditionally, henbane's been used in like smoking blends and as an incense, but you'll also see it in uh, references to recipes for what is called shaman snuff. And you can actually like grind the leaves into a super fine powder and snort a little bit of it to induce like like a trance type state. The seeds though have like a more cons- uh, like a more consistent alkaloid content than the leaves. And the reason this matters is, again, the alkaloids are the poisonous part, but they're also the part that have that, like, trans-euphoria-inducing effect. So a lot more often, you'll see the seeds used in, like, rituals. So one of the ways that they've been used is you can put, like, a charcoal disc in a fireproof bowl and sprinkle it with henbane seeds, cover it with a cloth, And so like the smoke is building in there in the bowl. And then at a certain point in the ritual, you remove the cloth and you get like a face full of this like trance inducing herb smoke. Um, And in those types of rituals, it's like, number one, it helps you get into a trance, commune with the dead, but you can also use the smoke as like a scrying medium, which is super dope. And if you're hearing this and you're thinking, wow, Shannon, that sounds an awful lot like something that reminds me of the Oracle at Delphi. You're right. So in Greek mythology, henbane is one of the named herbs Apollinaris, which are the herbs that were like named for Apollo and his oracles. So some people speculate that henbane was one of like the incense blends that was used for like the oracles at Delphi to enter their like trance state and give their predictions. Um, And henbane, though, is like one of the earliest examples of plants that are used in necromantic and funerary rites. So they found henbane seeds in like Neolithic funerary vessels. They found them in like Norse burial sites. Like basically, if you find like old ass tombs and burial sites almost anywhere in the world, they found henbane, which I think is really fascinating that it's like has such a like close tie to funerary rites. Um, But speaking of that travel between the upper and lower worlds, uh, Hercules was said to wear a crown of henbane and poplar, which allowed him not only to descend into the underworld, but also to return. So if you're thinking about- I mean, that that is the important part. It's- uh, Yeah, getting back is always the trick. It's pretty easy to get there. Pretty easy to get there, truly. Yeah, things tend to go wrong for people when they're trying to get back from the underworld in Greek mythology. Um, So, you know, if you're thinking about like deities that Henbane's associated with, like really you're gonna think of the Chthonic deities like Saturn, Hecate, Hell, 
but also the thunder gods Thor and Donar. And that's because we're not like super going to get into this, but I do think it's interesting that like, it seems like specifically in like the Norse tradition, they would use henbane in like rituals to help bring about rain. So it was like really used for like weather magic, which is kind of like an interesting other side to it. And I guess if you think about like the way that Mercury kind of like moves and travels and shifts and it's kind of like a shape shifter. I could see that, I guess, tying into weather, but we're not talking about weather magic today. We're talking about necromancy. We're talking about dead people shit. So, <coughs> excuse me. So traditionally um, it has been used as medicine. Like henbane is still used in Ayurvedic medicine and it's like most often used as like a sleep aid or a pain reliever. But again, it has those toxic tropane alkaloids. Be careful. You can also use like the leaves, stems, and roots to make topical ointments. And even though like topically it is safer than ingesting it, you do have to be careful, guys. Like this is poison. Um, but magically, again, it's like super associated with the dead. Like we've already talked about its use in necromantic rituals. They find it all over the place at burial sites. But if you wanted to work with it, like in your personal practice, henbane is like a great option as like an offering for the dead. And there are some rituals I've seen where you can, you can go to cemeteries and leave it as an offering. But like there are internment rituals where you like dig a hole with your hands and then bury the henbane and you use that as an offering by like putting it in the ground. So you don't necessarily need to be right up on the body. So you can put it in the ground to use it as an offering to like the dead, quote unquote, en masse. Um, of course, it's good for crossroads magic. Hey, Hecate. I'm like uh, burying some keys and some henbane seeds at a crossroads is like, you and Hecate are about to be like going to bone town. It's very, <laughs> very on brand. Uh, and of course it's clutch for Samhain, right? Like putting the dried seed pods or even the dried flowers on your ancestral altars as offerings is like amazing. Like number one, they're beautiful, but number two, like if if you're trying to like commune with your ancestors, commune with the sacred dead that you're close with on Samhain when the veil is thinnest, put them on your altars. Fuck, go out on Samhain and bury some henbane seeds at a crossroads and like just like never come back from the underworld. Maybe that's what I'll do this year. Um, but also I do have to end by saying, uh, as is often the case, plants that are heavily associated with the dead also end up with an erotic side. That's like, that's it's like, how it it's, goes. it's like sexy vampires, you know, like eventually we, you just end up there. You just end up there. And uh, there are all sorts of like traditions of using like henbane in erotic massage oil because it does like bring heat and has that kind of like slightly analgesic effect that can be really sexy. Uh, so you can use the plant for like lust magic. I'm thinking if sex magic is part of your practice, like a henbane infused oil might be something that you're interested in. Um, but you will find recipes for various preparations like in books. Please find them in like good reputable books. Don't go online looking for henbane recipes. Actually like in Germany for a long time they added henbane to beer to increase like 
the loopy effects of booze. So there are even like some recipes you can find for adding henbane to beer to like use in rituals. But I've I've talked for a long time today and mostly because it's a poison, like I'm not gonna do a podcast episode where I give you recipes for how to ingest a poison. That doesn't seem um, responsible. So drink responsibly, poison yourself responsibly. But like, again, henbane is one of the less dangerous poisons. And I just want to end by showing you guys the henbane glyph because it's super dope. And it like, it's got the crown on top of it that looks like the cauldron, which is like, this is the shape of the seed. Oh my gosh, that's, wow. Isn't that such a I, cool glyph? I, I do, I do like the little crown. I, I, it, it's like a little guy wearing a cape. Yeah, he looks like a dude wearing a cape and a crown. So anyway, um, that's henbane, guys. My like main source today was the Poison Path Herbal because there's like so much stuff in here and I still had to cut a lot out. But like, guys, I can't say enough how much I love this book. Like there are some books that you read and you're like, this is great. I'll go back to it periodically. But this is a book that has like been on my nightstand, like on my bedside table since I got it. And I'll just like, open it up and like reread stuff or like read like new passages. And I always just feel like I'm learning something different when I open it. It's like, this book is so dense, like in a good way. Like, I feel like it's just God. And I think it's like, this is a $20 book. I spent $20 on this book and I cannot recommend it enough. Like this isn't an ad for it, but like, I just, when I find a book like this, I want y'all to all know about it. And this is so good. So good. So that's it. Love that. I love love a little wander down the poison path. And also, I uh, I think it bears repeating that you've said several times to me that you want to grow a poison garden someday. And I, I think do. I think that's gonna be so cool when that comes to fruitation. Um, I know. I just have to do it once I don't live somewhere with so many feral children running around. Yeah. Yeah. Boo. True, true that. True that. All right. So necromancy part two. Duh. Um, I do love the part twos that we've been kind of doing lately. And I do like to think that someone just listened to necromancy part one. Like, you know, like they're listening to it. And then they like skipped ahead to necromancy part two because they saw it. Um, so, and they're like, you know, wow, they got a lot better at podcasting. They got a lot like, better at podcasting, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, we did. <laughs> Gosh, we sure did. But I definitely was not planning on starting off necromancy part two with a rant about branding of all things. But here we are. And I think if anything this is the actual story that needs to be exposed because obviously with the direction of this episode, we're trying to take it to a spooky place and basically not repeat the first necromancy segment, which was to say that the historical meaning of necromancy was more based around like prophecy and visions and sort of what you're talking about, like the Oracle at Delphi and sort of beseeching a spirit to visit you in your dreams. Yeah. In, in sort of Greek mythology, death and dreams are twin brothers so yeah i and it's again it's like when we're talking about those necromantic rituals that i was talking about 
it is much more about like scrying, getting visions, communicating with the dead, not fiddling with their bodies. So, and actually that's what I wanted to talk about because that's what used to be necromancy. That's like the original Greek idea of necromancy, right? Is this sort of vision-based system. Um, and actually the Greek and in the Greek and Roman worlds, there were not a lot of burials. So they did funeral pyres and they thought bodies were very unclean, which is true. It's 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 a true thing that uh, dead now, bodies. Welcome to the Middle Ages when the uh, the first ever biological warfare was just throwing bodies over yeah. like over castle walls. Throw you know yeah, um, but you know who actually did a lot of bizarre shit with bodies, including cutting them into bits and hanging out in catacombs a lot. Early Christians. So, and I mean, we all have our weird stuff as different faiths, but like really imagine what the Romans must have thought when Christianity started spreading to Rome of these people worshiping martyr bones, because that's a big part of it. So like if you were a, an early Christian martyr, they would like dismember you and be like, you get a shin bone and you get a shin bone and y'all get a hand and like, so they have all these little bits and pieces. Okay. And then also the, you know, the communion drinking like holy blood um, and holding vigils over and hanging out with the like rotting corpses of your deceased. Like they're the creepy ones. Okay. But for some reason, that period of Christianity really does get glossed over a lot. As Especially in conversations about death and occultism, because yeah. I think you're right, like Christian and Jewish and like really just Abrahamic mysticism has seemingly been swept under the rug. Um, yeah, despite the fact that like there are still plenty of places in the world where you can go and like see a saint's finger bone and like they're just not talking about it. And it's like, bitch, y'all keep bones like y'all have bone collections like are you the baba yaga um <laughs> but no early christians are the baba yaga plot twist so in the greek and roman worlds like necromancy was just like having visions and like meeting ghosts in your dreams and then the christian period um when the christians are become in charge like really boring and lame stuff it's called necromancy so anything from like casting with circles to owning animal bones and really just like ground level shamanism of any type is like it's like part of the witch hunt you know like 15th 16th century by like the peak of like the witch hunt craze like necromancy is a very common accusation that the christians want to throw out um to really anything that they don't like and especially it seems like magical and ceremonial practices that come from the the quote-unquote near east so your persia's your turkey's your your northern africa's so basically you know like the uh the islamic influenced world um and again christians absolutely were the creepy ones 
But all of that to say, we wanted something creepy, right? We're getting something We're creepy. We're here for the spook factor. But I just, I, I just always think it's worth mentioning that early Christianity was a lot of people hanging out in caves with bones. But they say that's not necromancy. It's Christianity. And, and they say we're the fucking immoral weirdos. Yeah, and they say we're the weird ones. Okay, but we do want spooky, but we also want witchy because I guess the Christians can do necromancy and um, we just never going to talk about it. Uh, but we also me, but not for thee <laughs> right but we want we want some history and i have dug up some great classical necromancy stories that we can really sink our teeth into and i'm starting with the roman story so it is like a story from later in time than the second story just to be clear just to be just absolutely clear you guys so um this one comes to us from Lucan's Pharsalia poem, which chronicles the Roman civil war that ultimately resulted in Julius Caesar becoming the emperor, which sounds like a great little piece of um, political theater, even. Um, it's almost like giant empires use artwork to uphold their value system around the globe. It's almost, uh, it's kind of like, certain countries that send things like Starbucks and movies and McDonald's around the world and just make their culture the default. Isn't that wild? It's pretty wild. Okay, but it is from fiction, but it's from first century fiction, and it has inspired a lot of subsequent lore around necromancy. And also, this is one of those situations where, like, the main body of this poem, the Pharsalia, deals a lot with the politics and history, which is all, like, part of the historical record. Like, Julius Caesar was part of the triumvirate, and, you know, it's like all this stuff happened. Um, and then we go into this weird necromancy direction, go down a rabbit hole, and never really come out. And I love it, and it's grisly as fuck. Um, so the backstory is we have Julius Caesar and Pompey the Great coming out of this peaceful period of the triumvirate as the main political rivals in Rome, and it's quickly boiling over into a civil war, and they're chasing each other all over the place, okay, like these two armies just trying to get a one-up on each other. Enter Pompey's son, Sextus Pompey, who has a vested interest in the outcome of the whole thing, because if his dad wins, then he's next in line to be the emperor or, you know, the high senator or like whatever they're going for. Because this is kind of before they decided they were going to do emperors, but they were like, you know, he wants his dad to be the next guy, not yeah, Julius. He wants a he wants a high bureaucratic position, whatever yeah, they like, call it. He wants to be a nepotism baby. Who doesn't, honestly? It seems so much easier. <laughs> right. So he does have this vested interest. And these two huge armies, again, have chased each other all around the Mediterranean. And they've ended up in Greece. And as it happens, there's a witch in Thessaly, the witch of Erichtho, who is reportedly powerful enough to raise armies of the dead now also notable legends around the witch of arik though is that she would straight up take bodies out of funeral pyres 
and there's nothing anyone could do to stop her. Um, and actually, she would, like, take the torch right out of, like, the grieving family's hand and just, like, steal the body. Um, casual. So, very, very casual. But also, because she's this necromancer, and she's, like, what we think of as a necromancer, right? Raising an army of the dead. She's a very, very spooky-looking lady. Um, big... Big Baba Yaga style crone vibes, okay? And she like lives in a cave with bones and stuff. And, uh, but she also buries people alive so that she can then reanimate their corpses and get them to do her bidding. So, um, all in all, not someone to be trifled with. And I think that's kind of why, even though her magic is very real, like Caesar's not going to her. Pompey the Great is not going to her. This is sort of this side character, this son, who's just, like, desperate for power and, like, really just wants, like, a good outcome because it does benefit him personally. Again, nepotism baby. And he's like, I will do anything to find out what is going on with this civil war, including mingling with the dark arts. So, obviously, this is where it gets interesting because um, Arik, though really does get down with the sickness with no hesitation. And I mean, ooh, obviously... Uh, uh, uh. Ooh, uh, 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 uh. And I mean, obviously she's getting paid for this, right? Like, he's the son of a very, very high-ranking politician. He's got the money. He's, like, paying her for services rendered, right? But there's no, like, oh, you have to go on a quest. There's no, like, test of worthiness. There's, you know... It's not like she owes him a favor for some weird, like, accidental thing. And, you know, it's very much like the Baba Yaga vibe, too, of, like, she's just doing business. So she's like, yeah, whatever. Like, let's do some necromancy. Um, and the first thing they do is they have to get a corpse, obviously. And it specifically has to be one of the recently killed soldiers from all this Civil War hoopla that's going on. So they go out to a battlefield, and there's just plenty of bodies lying around. Um, so they get one, and they go to the local necromancy cave, and the witch of Erichthor, uh, Erichtho, sorry, starts by infusing the dead body uh, uh, with fresh blood. So that's just right off the rip. Where did the fresh blood come from? Is it like animal blood? Is it like fresh human blood? I think it's uh, best not to ask a lot of questions here because there's going to be more crazy things going on. Um, so just try to keep up, truly. Um, so we've infused the corpse with fresh blood, um, just buckets and buckets of uh, supposedly fresh blood. And now she's going to make a potion from some very exotic ingredients. And those ingredients are as follows. Hyena bones. Um, the froth of a mad dog. Lynx guts. Deer bones. Snake skins. Dragon's blood. Phoenix ashes. And the poison of the moon. Um, uh, so, uh, but, yeah. Uh... So wow. Yeah. Yeah, so she makes she makes her little potion. 
and um, she drinks this to go into her trance and commune with him. And to quote Lady Gaga, like capital H-I-M. Um, just him, the dark king of dark kings, more of the whole like hell has layers thing. Speculatively, Osiris, the original underworld god, but just him. And the witch of Erichthor apparently has the business card of him. So she comes back from the underworld with the ghost of the dead soldier. Obviously, because she can just do that. She can just go to the underworld and snatch up a soul and bring it back. And like most dead people who died of stab wounds in uh, a war during sword times, he's a little reluctant to go back into his mortal coil, especially with all the stab wounds that he died from. Um, and so in order to make the ghost comply, um, Erichtho whips him with live snakes until he gives in to her demands. And there's actually a classical painting of this this scene, this like crone whipping a ghost with a handful of snakes while the Sextus is just watching and the soldier's body is on the floor with his like ghost hovering above it. And she's just whipping the ghost with snakes. That's hot. That, it is hot. And I actually um, love, love this witch. Um, anyways. After all the snake whipping, the soldier does like a full Frankenstein and like comes up to his feet to deliver his prophecy. And like literally his like guts are spilling out of his stab wound. And like presumably all of that fresh blood is not helping uh, considering the guy is like full of holes. But he's like delivering his prophecy. Um, it's very, very grim, very grisly. And it's not good news for the Pompeys. Um, everyone's gonna die, Julius Caesar's gonna win, and there's nothing anyone can do. And I just, like, my perception of this is that it must have been so funny for, like, the witch and the ghost to, like, see this, this nepotism, this wannabe nepotism baby, like, literally engaging with dark magic just to get told, like, yeah, y'all are going to lose. Julius Caesar is going to be remembered as one of the greatest emperors of all time. And y'all are going to be like historical footnotes, basically. So um, have fun. And anywho, also, by the way, you've tarnished your immortal soul by engaging with necromancy and um, bringing someone back from the underworld. So the, good luck to, to you. Uh, um, so then, okay, because we're doing these sort of like Greek and Roman necromancy stories, or like that's ultimately the di direction it ended up going in, and I'm not mad so far. I feel like that was kind of spooky. Um, there's a hyena bone potion, so like, what more do you people actually want from me? Um, but actually, so we have the story of Pausanias, uh, and actually, the beginning of the story is a little more grisly than the end. It kind of reverts back to that old style of necromancy, not the, like, absolutely crazy Witch of Erichtho, uh, 
raising an army of the dead style of necromancy that we really uh, were, were craving this time of year. But it's an interesting story nonetheless. So Pausanias is the regent of Sparta in the year of our Lord, 479 BC, defeated the Persians, um, which was a really big deal. And between, so actually, um, defeats the Persians and sort of suffers from this sort of um, ennui, which, you know, it's like he's had this great victory and he's brought sort of peace back to the Greek peninsula. And uh, also it has like a pretty vital role in restoring Athenian democracy, which is really such an important thing to the cultural development of the classical world. So a lot going on for Pausanias, but then he's like, well, what do I do next? And so a lot of people think this name is very, very symbolic, but falls in love with a young maiden called Cleonice. So Cleonice means great victory. So he's like lusting after another great victory, which is this young maiden, right? And here's the thing. So he sort of makes this demand. Again, he is the regent of Sparta. So he's a pretty powerful guy. And he's like, you know what? I'm, I've really got it for Cleonice. Send her to my room tonight. And they do. But in order to protect the modesty of, of Cleonice, they put out all, the, all of the candles, so to speak. You know, so she can, uh, I guess, maybe feel a little more comfortable doing doing the dirt. It's sort of hinting that she's a virgin, right? So the king is in the room. It's it's dark. I guess he's gone to sleep. Um, actually, he's not a king. He's a regent. Just just saying, just saying. So, but he's asleep, right? And the the servants have put the candles out before they send the girl in again to protect her modesty. She is a, a young maiden, after all. And I guess she she's stumbling because it's so fucking dark. And she knocks over one of the lanterns, which is not lit. So it's not like she's lighting a fire or anything. That's not where this story is going. Um, he wakes up and thinks someone is there to assassinate him, which you know, a lot of a lot of leaders back then just got assassinated. Like, you know, again, it's sword fight times. Like it wasn't really. You know, people people got sorted a lot. I mean, yeah, there wasn't a bunch of people with like simply safe on outside the front door. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, there's no um ring security system. So he thinks someone's there to kill him, and he just lashes out with his sword, and he cuts this this maiden Cleonice in half. So she's dead. She's dead, 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 and. She's haunting him. She's keeping him up all night. Horrifying visions. Cold sweats. Like, you name it. And so he goes to the Black Sea. To another spooky necromancer's cave. The Oracle of the Dead. And beseeches. Absolutely beseeches. The ghost of Cleonice. What can he do to get some peace? And so she's just like, you know... Uh, just go back home. Just go back home to Sparta. And this will all be over. And I really hope I'm, like, underlining, like, how 
spooky that is. Like, she's like, mm, just go back home. Just go back home to Sparta. And everything's going to be just fine. And so it turns out that... For some reason, I have to say, I'm suspicious of this. I'm I'm a little suspicious myself. I'm a little suspicious myself. But, so he's he's gone to the necromancer. He's been in the cave with all the bones. He's like, I just really wanted you to be my girlfriend. And... You know, now you're haunting my bedroom. So he had so, but he's on his little trip, and it comes out that part of his peace deal with Persia was like a little bit of a backdoor trading situation. And so he's like embezzling some money and like, you know, has this like backdoor deal with the Persians. And the Spartans are not happy because they feel like they're getting sort of mistreated in the deal and it's sort of like for his personal gain instead of the gain of the nation which is sort of what it's supposed to be and keeping in mind that he's a regent not the king um he's sort of keeping an eye on things while the king comes of age because in these sort of dynastic things like yeah you could be like a five-year-old kid technically you're the king because your dad got sorted to death uh, in his sleep, probably. And um, anywho, so he gets back and immediately, immediately, they brick him up, or they're, 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 it's torches and pitchforks, okay? And he runs into the temple at Athens for um, sanctuary, or the temple to Athena. It's not Athens, it's the temple to Athena, sorry. Um, and he's like claiming sanctuary and basically they're like no torches and pitchforks torches and pitchforks and they brick him into alive mind you they brick him into the wall at athena's temple cask of amontillado style and apparently his mother laid the first brick which just goes to show that spartans absolutely ruthless absolutely just a very ruthless people that sort of um admired that um in their citizens let me just be the first to say what the actual fuck <laughs> what the actual fuck so we're, we're breaking this guy up he's alive in the walls and here's the thing now the spartans have this problem because now the ghost of pausanias is haunting Athena's temple, preventing them from making the usual sacrifices and the general upkeep of the temple. So Athena's pissed. Things are not going well for the Spartans. There's a lot of strife. There's a lot going on. Uh, not to mention they just killed their regent um, by bricking him into a wall, but they have to hire exorcists from Italy to get the ghost of Pausanias out of the temple to Athena so that they can resume making their sacrifices. Uh, which I just, I mean, it's such a crazy story that is pre presented as historical fact. So, um, yeah. And that's- I'm, I'm positively reeling. Or truly, truly. So, so that's the story of Pausanias and Guess what, you guys? Before we move on to the bitter end, it is ask time. So, Shannon, how would people get in touch with us? First of all, like, wait, sorry, I didn't have my. I was muted. Uh, you I were muted. You old were muted on Zoom. 
Um, <laughs> so, uh, cool. Wandsandfrontspod at gmail.com. Instagram at Wandsandfrontspod. If you want to see our beautiful faces, it's patreon.com slash Wandsandfrontspod. Rate, review, subscribe, like it, download it. Tell us you love us. Okay, thanks. Bye. Um, this podcast is good. Five stars. Five stars. Okay. You ready for this, Nick? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got Aquarius. Love that. Hi, little Aquarius BB. Little little water bearer. Little water bearer. My ascendant. Um, For you, very appropriately for kind of a spooky sode, I got the moon. I love this moon card with, like, the white and gray rat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's so cute. So, y'all, this card's all about intuition, right? And to me... What the interpretation I'm giving you for this card today, Aquarians, is that there's something that you're like, you're missing a piece of the puzzle. There's something in your life that's like mind boggling you a bit. And what you need to do is listen to your intuition, because that's where you're going to find the missing piece, because you cannot figure out the situation because you do not have all of the necessary information, but you're not going to get it with your sweet, logical alien brain. You got to like dive in, do some meditation. I don't know, maybe snort some henbane. Don't do that. I'm not telling you guys to do that. Don't sue us. Uh, and listen to your intuition to get like the missing piece of the puzzle. Love, 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 love. Short, um, sweet, simple. Short, sweet. <laughs> also, kind of at the end here, I wanted to do like a little mini QWP. Uh, as you all probably know, I spend a lot of time on Twitter and um, as an Aries, I feel like it is my job to defend the Libras of the world from attacks, um, such as calling Libra season Leo season part two. Like, and they're not even the same energy, like, not, at all. Not even at all. Not even at all. It's disrespectful to Virgos to, to just be like, Virgo season is Leo season part two. Um... But also, I literally saw this tweet the other day that made me absolutely gag, where it was like 29 days till Scorpio season. And I let was like... Let the Libras have their moment. Like, literally let the Libras have their moment. Um, happy Libra season, everybody. So... Be beautiful. Be beautiful. Be horny. Be balanced. And um, we do love that for you. So... But what do we say to all those spooky necromancer bitches? Uh, to all you spooky necromancer bitches, blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. Goodbye. Bye now. For some reason, I get on a computer, my brain is in Windows 98 mode. Like, I will absolutely, like, double-click on a tablet with my finger and... Um, I like dragging stuff that just does it's it's never clicked. It's also like, um, I'm sorry, where is Clippy? I need an assist. <laughs>